As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. On today's episode of On Books and People, Mark is joined by Tom Van Arsdale, who is a former professional player for the NBA. The six-foot-five guard played collegiately at Indiana University under longtime head coach Branch McCracken. Selected by the Detroit Pistons in the second round of the 1965 NBA draft, Van Arsdale was named to the NBA All-Rookie Team in 1966 together with his identical twin brother, Dick. He played in the NBA for 12 seasons with the Pistons, Cincinnati Royals, Kansas City Omaha Kings, Philadelphia 76ers, Atlanta Hawks, and the Phoenix Suns. A consecutive three-time All-Star starting in 1970, he was consistently one of the best free-throw shooters in professional basketball. He retired in 1977. Welcome, Tom. Good morning. This is Mark Madison. Welcome to On Books and People. My guest this morning is one of my childhood heroes, NBA legend Tom Van Arsdale. Tom, how are you this morning? I'm good, Mark. I'm sitting here in Arizona. It's getting hot, but uh, I'm in the air conditioning. Well, that's I've been in the air conditioning business since 1976, so you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friend sent me your book. He lives in Cave Creek, and I could not put it down. And he said, you know, you should probably get him on your podcast. And I said, you know, you're right, but he doesn't know me from Adam. And he said, well, why don't you just call him up? Yeah. So I did. And by the way, I loved your book. It was amazing. I read Thank it in you. two sittings. And, uh, you know, I, I so I got a bunch of questions and we only have 35 minutes. So I'm going to see okay. how, how many of these questions I can get answered. So you grew up in Greenwood, Indiana, a little one stoplight town. We, you're exactly right. It had one stoplight. We had 2,500 people. We were about at that time, we were probably 10 miles south of Indianapolis and we were considered to be in the country. And, and uh, I grew up kind of as a Tom Sawyer type guy. We played outside the creeks and the woods and all that stuff, but it was a nice existence. And you have a twin brother named Dick. I have a twin brother. I'm 15 minutes older than he is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you've been I'm, saying that for 70 plus years. Uh, I tell him what to do all the time, but he won't listen to me. Now you have the distinction. I, uh, you guys were the first twins to play in the NBA. Is that right? Well, Mark, I'm not sure if we were the first. I don't remember any before that, uh, but we, I think we're probably... The, the most well-known twins since the NBA started. And there's some twins playing now, which you probably have heard of, but yeah. Uh, more yeah. Markeith Morris and his brother. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the two kids from Stanford, uh, Brooke yeah, and, Brooks Lopez. and the Lopez. Yeah. Twins, yeah. Right. 
What's it like to have a twin brother? I always wanted one. I thought that would have been the greatest thing ever. Well, the great thing about it was when we, we, we grew up, we always had somebody to play with. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, we started playing basketball in our backyard when we were maybe, I don't know, six or seven. And we play against each other. We always had somebody to compete against that was just as good as, as each other. So, so we had good competition. But, you know, twins, it's like saying, what's it like to be something? And if, you don't, if you've never done that, you don't know what it's like. Well, Dick and I don't know what it's like not to be twins. But we're right. We're very close, and we are a little unusual in how everything we've done has been together, except until we got into the NBA and then we were drafted by different teams. But we're so much alike in 99% of the ways that it's kind of scary. It really is. I had your basketball card and your brothers, and your stats were almost identical, even your GPA. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we ended up playing college ball after three years of varsity we were 10 12 points apart on the total scores and in the nba he averaged 16.2 points a game and i think i averaged 15 point something so we were very close everything we've been close on he was the valedictorian of the high school class i was third and my girlfriend finished second <laughs> <laughs> now did you is that kathy did you marry her no this was no I, this was a little cheerleader and we we never got serious enough to get married no it wasn't kathy but okay <laughs> so you were an all-american and in 1965 you were the 11th pick in the nba draft correct yes by the pistons now was dave bing or bob lanier part of that team or did they come later dave Bing, well, I, dave bing came my second year uh, from syracuse and i'll never forget it because uh he came to the team and I, I said, we needed a really good player. And Dave Bink came and the first day I said, wow, Dave is really good. And, and so Dave Bing was there. Now Bob Lanier came after me. So I didn't, uh, didn't uh, play against Bob, by the way, Bob passed away this past. Yes. Week. Yeah, it's kind of I sad. saw that. That made me sad. He was a, he was a gentle giant, wasn't he? He was a gentle giant. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then of course, Dave Bing became the mayor of Detroit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess I saw his his picture the last time, you know, when I was in Detroit one time at the airport. Yeah, yeah. But the other guy, man. the other guy I met, the guy I met in the airport was a guy named Oscar Robertson. So I was walking through the Cincinnati airport and there's the big O coming at me. And really? I went, oh, my gosh, this is one of my childhood heroes. And so I, I just I, I must have sounded like a kid. You know, I said, uh -huh. Oscar Robertson I said I am just just so happy to meet you and he was such a gracious guy but you talk about him a lot in your book one of the things you said was I'll never be like Oscar Robertson I'll never be that good well there's that was so true I mean let's get honest about this but uh, first time I saw Oscar he was I this was in the book I went up and asked him for his autograph and he had a hot dog in his hand and he put it in his letter jacket and signed signed the autograph and I still have that autograph in my little scrapbook. Oh, Never. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I liked him so much. I had big O's uh, signed on my shorts. Uh, my, my mom stitched O on my shorts. And people said, what is that? I said, it's Oscar Robertson, man. <laughs> yeah. Where, Mark, where did you grow up? Oh, Seattle, the Seattle area. But you knew him from, okay, you knew him that well from Seattle. Well, you know, he, my grandson's name is Oscar. Oh, wow. And, uh, people ask me, I, I told my daughter on Chris, I said, you know, name Oscar after Oscar Robertson. And 
they named him Oscar, but they say it's because she taught school in Spain a little bit in Spanish, and Oscar is a big name over there. So right. they wanted Oscar, and I said, well, I tell everybody he's named after Oscar Robertson, and I told Oscar that. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what to think about that. Yeah. Name your Chris after one of my heroes. Yeah. Uh, so you played in the NBA for 11 years, and one of the things you talk about in the book is that your brother says this on the back. He said, my twin brother got the short stick over the five teams in 12 years. He never made the playoffs. Uh, yeah. how, was that like a dark cloud over it? Did you finally get over that? Mark, it, it was a dark cloud. I played actually 12. We both played 12 years. Dick and I played 12 years. I never played in a playoff game. To this day, I hold a unique record. Mm. I scored more points than any NBA player in the history of the NBA who has never played in the playoff. <laughs> That's like a left-handed compliment or a right-handed well, insult. You, you got, well, I'm kind of proud of it in a way. Right. You know, the, kind of the, to sum up my history, I never was – we didn't have free agency. So I never – when you got traded, you went to where you were going to go. And right. usually I went from a bad team to a worse team. I got traded from Kansas City, which was the Cincinnati Royals franchise, which moved to Kansas City. I told Bob Cousy I wanted to be traded to Phoenix so I could play with my brother. So right. one day after practice in Kansas City, Bob Cousy called me over and I said, oops, something's up. And he said, Tom, I've traded you. I thought, oh, my God, Bob, that's wonderful. Where am I going? He said, Philadelphia. I said, oh, gee, Philadelphia's record when I got traded there was four wins and 47 losses. Still goes down as the worst record in the history of the NBA. And so that was my life. And so I really... That's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I kind of had to vent a little bit about my disappointment of not ever playing in a championship. Right. And your brother, he played in Phoenix, yeah? He played in Phoenix, and they played the Lakers. His first time he played in the playoffs was against the Los Angeles Lakers with Connie Hawkins and Neil Walk and that group. Oh, and, the Hawk. Uh, yeah, the Hawk. They had, they had the Lakers down three games to one, and then Neil Walk made some comment about, oh, we're going to kick their – well, Wilt woke up, and the Lakers won the next three games, and the Suns got eliminated. But then the, the greatest thing that Dick was on, he played on that team in 1965-66 that was in the championship against the Boston Celtics. So he got to play in the, in the championship. They didn't beat the Celtics, but he got to no, play. In it. Nobody yeah. did back then. No, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Bill Russell has more rings than fingers. Well, I tell, I tell people – Today, if I'm going to pick a team, and this is under those old – now everything's a three-point game. So, Bill Russell wouldn't be as dominant today as he was then, probably. You played Bill Russell back in when I played in the 60s and 70s. I mean, it was like playing a nightmare. Right. We had a 44-inch vertical and really long arms. And he was yes. 6'9". Yeah. And he was fast and agile and quick. and You know, he was unbelievably good. Yeah, I read his book too. I I only met him once in the airport. We were on the same flight, but he's a very private person, and and you know I respected that. Well, you know I know he lives in yeah he lives out here now some. Oh yeah, I think he's kind of slipping health wise, which is natural at his age. But sure, sure, he's got to be in his mid to late eighties now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who were your mentor beside Oscar Robertson? Who were your mentors coming up? Well, in high school, we, Dick and I had a couple of mentors, and you wouldn't even know who they are. They were just good high school players, but they kind of took us. Uh, Carl Short, 
who was, uh, he played the same time Oscar did in Indianapolis. And Carl kind of took us under his wing when we got to, to the high school. He, he would take us around to summer games in Indianapolis. And we played against real good competition. Uh, I had, Oscar was always my idol. I saw Oscar play in high school. And even though I didn't know him, that Christmas Addicts basketball team, it was the, it was the all-black high school in Indianapolis. Right. They, that team with Oscar, and they had other great players before Oscar and after Oscar. They were, they were iconic in Indiana. And then, of course, when Bobby Plump played for Milan and that movie Hoosiers was made, I, I was actually at that game to see the Milan team win the state championship, and that's the Hoosiers movie. And I know Bobby Plump. He's the guy that hit the jump shot at the end of the game in Hoosiers. The movie right. Hoosiers. So, you know, we've got a lot of – we had, Dick and I had a lot of idols in high school because Indiana basketball is second to none as far as enthusiasm and people just love the game. Well, and there's so – everywhere you, – you talk about this in the book, but there's just – somebody's playing everywhere. Right. Well, I mean, everybody's got a goal up. You drive out in the country and the barns have basket basketball hoops up on the barns. And uh, I mean, everybody, it's just it's the number one game in Indiana. Right. And it's just something of Johnny Wooden came from there. Branch McCracken, you know. And so there's a lot of history. Larry Bird, the hick from French Lick, you know, so right. Oscar. And, you know, we've had a lot of great players come out of Indiana. Well, the. Uh... I got a kick out. I was speaking in Indiana a, a few years ago and I was doing some research and uh, the name Hoosier comes from a, a story. Uh, back in the 1800s, there would there was a fight one day and uh, it got a, a pretty good, pretty good brawl in a, in a bar. And when the fight was over, somebody looked down and they said, wow, whose ear is that? Oh, you know, Mark, that not, I have never heard that one. Okay. I have never heard that one. Here's the one I know. Back in the old days and when the settlers came in, they'd have these little houses out and, and somebody might go up to somebody's house and knock on the door and the person inside would say, who's there? And it turned in, finally they'd say, who's there? Who's, it became so quick, they'd say, who's there? So I don't know what story's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what a Hoosier is. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things that just go, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. so what you wrote a book, but uh, what books have impacted you? Uh, and and the reason I asked the question, I heard John Wooden speak in 1993, and I got to ask him that question, and he said "Magnificent Obsession" by Lloyd C. Douglas. So I immediately went out and bought it, and read it cover to cover in like two sittings, and and that inspired me to write my first book. No kidding. Oh yeah, uh, and it's done real well. And so uh, I, I asked that question of everyone. You know, what book? What one book had the biggest impact on you? Well, if it relate if it relates to basketball, I, I collect I collect uh, basketball books by NBA players. Mm. I've got a collection here in my house of two hundred at least two hundred books, all signed by Jabbar Robertson, Bobby Knight, uh, Havlicek. I got them, and I've got and it's it's kind of my little treasure. Right. So I get inspiration about reading about these other guys and what they went through. You know, and you've got the guys that grew up in the inner city and the struggles they go through. I played with Nate Archibald and tiny. A, yeah. Tiny. He's a phenomenal story of what he went through. And I really enjoyed his book, but the, and I've read all, all of Oscar's books and I, I just enjoy reading about these guys. And the one that really got me because I, 
because of the book and venting in the book, I had two, two very serious bouts with depression. And it, it's kind of an inherent thing in my family. My, my dad was depressed. And so I got depressed a couple of times uh, while I was playing. Well, Jerry West, I know Jerry West kind of, I didn't play with him, but I just feel like I know him really well. Right. He went through so many struggles with depression. Right. And I read, I read his book West by West. I don't yep. know if you read it. Yeah. It, it just hit me. I just, and I wrote Jerry. And so, and I saw Jerry West at uh, the funeral for Hot Rod Hundley a few years after I read that book. And I went up to Jerry because he described how unhappy he'd been. And right. I, I know he never seems like he's happy. And my God, here's a guy, I think he'd be on top of the world. I said, Jerry, this is at Hot Rod's funeral. I said, Jerry, I read your book. Are you any happier now? And he, the exact quote he said to me was, he says, Tom, I'm never happy. Right. And that's kind of sad. Now, I don't know if he's gotten better about that, but his up, his dad, he just had a terrible time. Yeah. Some real abuse there in his childhood. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, and I've, I've just loved reading about Oscar. And of course I'm really dear friends with Bobby Knight. I know him inside and out. And I've read all of his books. So, there, but he wasn't know, coaching when you were playing. He was. He no, didn't come he, till year, years later. He came five years after I graduated from Indiana. Right. But I happened to get to know him very well because his, my he was very close with my mother, mm. and so uh, I got to know him. Anyway, there. You know, I think in general people think that they read about successful people and they think, oh, their life is easy and they never have any problems. No, quite the opposite. Yeah, you know, Mark, it's just not that way. Right. Uh, so that's the name of that tune. So what's it? You've been married to Kathy for 50 years. Yeah. Now you're eight years ahead of me. I've been married for 42 years to the same woman. Okay. What advice okay. would you offer someone, a young person just getting married? I mean, 50 years, that's a big <laughs> deal. Well, I would say, first of all, I would say you have to understand that there are going to be times when there are bouts of disagreements and all that and i've learned over the years it took a while not to be argumentative um kind of let things go in one ear and out the other and accept it um it's a i just cherish my i just cherish my relationship with my wife but i've had we've had our moments of discomfort and arguments and so I think I think the, the biggest thing I would say is, you know, people people uh, maybe are having a difficult time and they say, oh, they get to the point where they're going to get a divorce. And I say, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence, which is an old saying. And it's so right. true. And I've had so many friends who've gotten divorces and remarried and they say, you know, I wish I would never have done that. So I would say just do everything they can to get along. If, not, if it's not working out, talk to each other. You got to you got to communicate. So, um, and in some cases, it just doesn't work. I I had a wife. I was married at one time, real young. Was married for two years, and we just couldn't make it. And we got separated and divorced. And it was very. In that case, I, I made the right decision, and then I married Kathy. So, uh, and that's worked out very well. Having, Sounds like you uh, married up. Oh, I did marry up. <laughs> you outpunted the coverage yeah mark I, i'm sure you married up mark oh buddy you have no <laughs> idea 
So what one day I was reading one of those how to improve your marriage books and you know and it said do a random act of kindness that you would that she would normally do and then just do it but don't say anything. So I yeah. vacuumed, I unloaded the dishwasher. I think I even folded the clothes in the dryer and I waited for the applause, Tom, and uh, it didn't come. And 10 uh -huh. o'clock rolls around and getting ready for bed. And I said, hey, did you happen to notice all that stuff? You know, she said, yeah. I said, is that like a good thing? Or she said, well, I've been doing it for 30 years. I'm glad you finally decided to join the club. And, oh, uh, and then <laughs> and I said, well, if you tell me I'm doing a good job, you know, and you're proud of me. I'll work twice as hard. She goes, I don't need that. I said, we're not talking about you. And, uh, <laughs> she said, are you really Mark? that shallow? I said, yes, I'm a guy. Mark? She, she goes, fine. Good job. And I went, thanks, hon. Your wife sounds exactly like my wife. <laughs> I mean, Mark, if I do something and I go in and say, hey, did you notice that I did this? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't go over at all. No. So I've learned to do something and don't say a word. You know? Yeah, it's part of your job, pal. Suck it up. Mark, I can tell you'd be a great, you're a great speaker. I can tell you're good. Oh, thank you. It's too much fun. I uh, yeah. used to get in trouble for talking in school. Now I get paid for it. God bless America. <laughs> so, so you and your brother are still doing stuff together. You got a gallery in Phoenix. Is it in Phoenix? It's in, oh, it's in old Scottsdale. Scottsdale. And uh, it's a it's a little space down in the art district. And uh, yeah, I know exactly where it is. OK, so we go down there. Dick Dick had a stroke about 15 years ago. Uh, he can still do his art. He can fly fish. He can drive a car. His cognitive skills are limited, but he's down there every day doing his art. Mm -hmm. I'm down there not as much as he is, but we do that. And then we go fly fishing together. We're going to go to Montana next week and do some fly fishing. And we're just like two peas in a pod. And that's so cool. I, yeah. I just, that, that makes me smile. Uh, not everybody has that kind of relationship with their brother. And you, you're, a, yeah. you're a blessed man. Well, I feel that way. And uh, it's just, uh, you, you, know, you just can't explain it. Um, I've heard, I've got... Uh, a lady friend here, an older friend, she's an identical twin and she and her sister don't get along at all. Mm. But I, I seldom hear that. Most of the time I hear, I had a guy come in the art studio the other day and he's, a, he's an identical twin. His brother, his brother died six months ago. And I said, how was that? And he said, it was awful. Right. He said, I talk to my brother every day. So you, most identical twins are very close. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're definitely fortunate. So yeah. you also strike me and, and, and now that we're actually talking, Having read your book and now listening to you, you seem really happy. You seem really content. What's the secret there? I think it's just inherited. I, my mom was a, an eternal optimist and my dad right. was an eternal pessimist. I happened to inherit the positive side and so did my brother Dick. I always say this. I don't know if I should say this on the air, but I, my mom could walk through clover, a field of clover. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. My mom could walk through a field of cow patty shit and say it smells like clover. Right. And she was always positive, always encouraging. And I think I just inherited that from mom. It's so much more enjoyable, I think, to live a life being positive than being negative. Nature or nurture, right? Yeah, there's more joy in that. And uh, I, I, you know, I can be critical of sometimes of other people, but I'm kind of learning is 
to sit back and say, you know, there, there's something good about everybody. Right. I, I don't care who they are. You can take a, somebody you think is the worst person in the world. And if you sit down with them and talk a little bit and just be receptive to listening, you can find something good about almost anybody. Emerson said, uh, every man I meet is my superior in some way. Yeah, I do. You're well read, Mark. Jimmy. Well, I, I, should, I should talk to you more often. <laughs> well, that's what people say but uh hey if i treated if i treated my friends the way i treat myself i wouldn't have any I mean, you know i'm my own worst enemy but you know i i'm an optimist but i've worked really hard uh, at undoing a lot of childhood stuff and you know i was pretty critical and, and a cynical and negative when i was young uh, i would block your shot and then i'd say is that all you got and i'd stand over you and you know talk trash uh -huh. my kids would block your shot, then they'd help you up. <laughs> you know, I hey, I've got your telephone number. You better be careful because I've got an issue. I'm going to call you. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll always answer, my friend. You're uh, you're one of my childhood heroes. When when my friend Steve sent me your book, I was just so happy, and when I read it, I was even happier. And then when you actually answered the phone, I was over the moon. So uh, I have one last question for you. Okay. Do you still play horse with your brother, Dick? No, we gave up when we retired from the NBA, we completely gave up the game. And, you know, I was, I was in a, I used to be on a board of food for the hungry international. We were, we go around different countries. I was in Bangladesh one time. And then I was in Bangkok, Thailand. And one of the guys that worked for food for the hungry over there, this is after I retired. He right. said, we're going to go play, we're going to go play basketball in this park in downtown Bangkok. And I said, okay. So he got me on the back of his motorcycle and we're riding through the crowd. We get down there and I think I'm still this really good basketball player. We were playing on concrete and I was jumping up and getting rebounds. I could hardly get out of bed the next morning. Mm. How old were you? I had to be probably 45. Okay. I mean, it just, you know, the thing about basketball is you just can't, it's like if you ever watched the NBA All-Star game, they used to have an old-timers game at halftime. Yeah. It was awful, Mark. It, it was, was shocking the first time I saw that. Oh, it's embarrassing. So they quit doing it. First of all, guys were getting hurt. So I just completely gave up the game. And I've got a my, – I coach my, my son's Little League basketball team. And, and then I've got a grandson who's six, and I go out with him and dribble a little bit. But I don't just don't play anymore. Right. No. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those games that uh, it's quick and jump. Right. And those are the first yes. two things that go. Oh yeah. I, I'm six, seven. I used to be able to dunk it. I can't even touch the net now. I mean, you know, Oh, I know. You just can't jump like that anymore. Oh, did you, did you play basketball as a, in high school? I did in college? high school and in college and then in the military, but really? my kids were the ones that really took it a long way. They played in college and then overseas. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, our youngest is 6'11", and he was an All-American at the D2 school, and he was drafted in the D-League. And, yeah, he had a nice career until he tore his Achilles. And Oh, my. Uh, wow. 6'11", huh? Yeah. he's wow. uh, And now he's having – he's got a little uh, one-year-old. So he, that, he, that little guy's going to be a hooper. So. Now, does he live in Seattle? Uh, yeah, well, Granite Falls, uh, so just east, north, northeast of us. And then our oldest son, Colin, has uh, two little girls. And his wife is 6'1". She played at Oregon State, and he's 6'7". So those girls are going to be really tall, like Brianna Stewart. <laughs> You're going to have a good future there, yeah. Yeah, I just have to live long enough to, you know, 
watch him get to the WNBA. So we'll see what happens. I know. I know. Yeah. You've got, now you've got, uh, we're almost out of time. So it's one of, you've got, uh, let's see, your three children, Carrie, Chris, and Amy, but you have four grandchildren. I have four grandchildren. Yes. How old are I, they? Well, my, my, my older daughter has, um, uh, a son who just graduated from high school last year and another son who's going to be a senior this year here in Phoenix. Okay. And my, my, uh, my younger daughter lives in Brooklyn and she does not want to have children. And my son, my only son lives here and he has two children. Uh, he's got a little boy, six years old, the one that I, we call Oscar. Mm. And then he's got a little, he's got a little girl named Mina who has, she's about four and a half years old. She has Rett syndrome which is kind of an autistic thing and she can't talk and all this. They're, they have to take care of her the rest of their lives, but she's the one, anything I make on this book dollar wise goes to RET research to mm. help people tell young kids. So, so, you know, it, it changes your, it has changed our lives, but we love her dearly. And right. we got four great grandkids and four, they're all four here. Thank goodness. So how does somebody get a copy of your book? They can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and it's journeyman by Tom Van Arsdale and they can order, you know, they can order the uh, softback hardback and then the, uh, what do you call it when you Kindle and all that stuff. So it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Well, and there's a picture of you with a basketball in one hand and a cigar in the other. So I think the next time I'm in Phoenix, we'll have to go to Churchill's. And, okay. <laughs> uh, and have a cigar and, and uh, meet in person. That'd be fun, Mark. I would like that. Thank you so much for making the time. You made my day. Well, hey, thank you. You made my day. I enjoyed every minute. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Take good care. You too. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans.